Uh, the last couple uh, times I've been with you, uh, we've looked at Luke chapter 18. And uh, here's what we've learned in Luke 18. Everyone is helpless. Uh, the persistent widow was helpless. Uh, last week we looked at a parable of the tax collector and the Pharisee. The tax collector was helpless and he knew it. The Pharisee was helpless and he didn't know that he was helpless. And so today we're going to look at infants. They're being brought to Jesus and they're helpless. Um, so don't you think that Jesus is trying to tell us something? Uh, don't you think that he's uh, using this tool of repetition to try to get through our thick skull something that we don't readily accept? That we are helpless people. But there's more than Jesus trying to tell us that we're helpless people. He's trying to tell us that he really cares about helpless people. See, Jesus has no interest in strong people because strong people would rather display their strength than Jesus's. Now, this is a really strange message for us. And Jesus has to come at these different angles to deliver it. He does it by telling stories with the widow and the tax collector. And today he's going to do it with an object lesson with these literal, physical, little babies. So let's read our passage together. Now they were bringing even infants to him that he might touch them. And when the disciples saw it, they rebuked them. But Jesus called them to him, saying, let the, little ch- let the children come to me, and do not hinder them. For to such belongs the ch- kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. The word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, I have uh, no ability to change anyone's heart. I I may be able to change someone's behavior, uh, but Lord, that is not my interest. Uh, Lord, I pray uh, that you would change not just uh, these people's hearts, but Lord, I pray you would change mine. Uh, That even after looking at this text all week, Lord, that I would further believe it uh, from being exposed to it in these next few moments. Oh, Lord, change us for your glory, we ask in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, about this time last year, uh, Jen and I went to the old theater downtown, the Kentucky Theater, and uh, we saw this movie, uh, this documentary uh, called Won't You Be My Neighbor? It's about Fred Rogers, you know, the uh, old white guy with a cardigan on TV. Uh, he had the show Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. Uh, it ran continuously for 35 years. And I can remember being a kid, being even like a five, six-year-old kid, being like, this is too cheesy for me. Uh, so when we went to Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, I really wasn't all, I mean, you guys know I love a good documentary more than the average person, but I wasn't even excited about Fred Rogers' documentary. Jenna was, and we had about a dozen people tell us it was awesome. So we go in and we watch it. And I see very quickly into the movie why I was about ready to earn dozens and dozens of awards. By the end of the movie, uh, I was sitting there in my seat. There were tons of people. I mean, it was uh, a movie where, I mean, the whole place was almost packed. And I was weeping my eyes out at the, at the end. I had never wept in public at a movie in my life. <laughs> but what moved me? Why, why did it touch me so deeply? Well, it was Fred Rogers' love for children that got me. It's almost as if when you're watching the movie that Fred Rogers preferred the company of children over the company of adults. You begin to see that the reason that he's so good at communicating with children is real simple. It's that he loves them. And I think Fred Rogers learned this from Jesus. See, Fred Rogers was a Christian. In fact, uh, he was a Presbyterian minister. So his faith was a really big part of his life and 
that's where he picks up this value for children. It's from his Christian faith. See, he knows that Jesus is a kid magnet. And we see it in our passage as Jesus is a kid magnet here in Luke 18. The parents are coming up to Jesus. They've got their infants. They have their babies that they want to give Jesus, that he might put his hands on them. Now, put his hands on them really was a sign of blessing in the first century. And as they're trying to put their babies in Jesus' lap, Jesus' disciples scold them. They weren't expecting this scold necessarily, but they get it from the disciples. And this scold, it wasn't a polite, um, sorry, sir, sorry, ma'am. Jesus is currently attending to other business. He may or may not get to your child at some point into the future. Not at all. This was really harsh. The disciples are demonstrating a very strong disapproval for what the parents are doing with their children to Jesus. The word used in verse 15 is this word, rebuke. Luke uses the same word rebuke in other places in in his gospel. Uh, One place that he uses it is that he uses it when Jesus rebukes the demons. When he casts out demons, he rebukes them. That's some strong disapproval. He uses this word rebuke when he talks to the waves when he calmed the storm. That's a strong disapproval. So apparently the disciples think that Jesus needs to spend his time differently. Jesus may need to start hobnobbing with the political elites. Maybe he needs to begin debating Jewish religious leaders. Maybe he needs to spend more time fundraising for the kingdom's cause. See, in the disciples' view, children are getting in the way of Jesus doing real ministry. So the disciples shoo off the parents and the children, but then Jesus calls them back. Jesus calls them back because he deeply desires to be with the children. That's why he says in verse 16, let the children come to me and do not hinder them. In another place in the Gospels, you see Jesus taking up children into his arms, blessing them and laying his hands on them. You see throughout the Gospel, Jesus Jesus exercises uh, a disproportionate amount of his miracles on children. So Jesus isn't bothered by the children that are coming up to him in our passage. The thing that Jesus is bothered by are the disciples. And so the disciples get this solid correcting. And I think we need a solid correcting too. Now, our culture might be baby obsessed. We've got these gender reveal parties, um, which I didn't even have when I had kids and my kids aren't that old. We have these things called baby showers. We live in a day of helicopter parenting, but I still think that there's a lot of room for us to grow in our delight towards children. See, our view of children is very privatized. The only children that we feel responsible for are the ones that are put in our home if we're parents. The only children that we feel responsible for are the ones that we interact with in an official capacity as a teacher, as a therapist, as a healthcare professional. But Jesus didn't have this privatized view of children. When Jesus walked into a room, he found the child and he talked to them. Do you do that? I have a tendency to walk into a room and to find the adult, and the only way I address a child is if they address me. It's almost as if I view children as a distraction from the real business of me being wherever I am. See, Jesus, what he would do is he'd come to church and talk 
to the kids. Jesus would be finding every kid in the room during the greeting of peace. And he would for sure know all their names. You know, I've got friends, they, you know, Presbyterians, we love having four kids. I didn't make it to four kids. I don't think we're going to make it. And, um, you know, when people have a lot of kids, it's hard to remember all their names. And that really shows us something, doesn't it? It's like, oh, what's, what's your second kid's name? Is it the same as the third's? I mean, that's the way we view children, because we don't know their names. And think about it in our context. A lot of, I mean, I think we've done a baptism three of the last four Sundays, and um, I think three of the last, uh, two of the last three have been uh, first-time parents. Uh, we really do have babies coming out of our earlobes. There have been a couple times. There was one Sunday when we were uh, in the sanctuary underneath here, uh, not the sanctuary, the fellowship hall underneath the sanctuary, and uh, all the kids came in. Uh, you guys brought them all in here for their blessing during communion. Uh, and during the last song, I couldn't even hear Justin because there were so many kids in the room. I really think that they're going to take over one of these days. So, and if God's really kind to us, this percentage of kids to adults is just going to increase. And that means that all of us, not just parents, have a responsibility for these little people, for these little image bearers. Our children are going to need more than just a parent, more than just two parents. Our children are going to need the church. Our children need us to come alongside their parents and care for them during these early years. And as they get older, they're going to be looking at us, not just their parents, for examples of godliness and humility. And then all along the way, we have this great responsibility to pray for them. So can I encourage a practice for you? Uh, tear off a piece of your bulletin and write down the name Henry Hoagland. And I'm sure in the next week or two, there will be another child who will be baptized. Write down their name under Henry Hoagland and pray for these children. Pray that they would not just grow up to be safe and strong and be kept from disease. Pray that for them for sure. But pray that they would grow up to know Jesus and go even a step further. They would not just know Jesus, but they'd be used by Jesus in their world. But let me add another layer to this. It's not just the children within the walls of this church that need us. It's the children in our neighborhood. The children in our neighborhood, they're especially vulnerable. There's a whole host of factors that make them vulnerable. It could be drug use, it could be the sex industry, uh, could be physical or sexual abuse, it could be neglect, it could be a lack of opportunity, it could be unjust policy. But nonetheless, whatever the factors are, they are especially vulnerable. The children in our neighborhood. So if you're a teacher, will you consider taking a job in our neighborhood? If you're not a teacher, will you consider mentoring a child? There's this great organization called Amachi. Uh, Amachi was run through the Lexington Leadership Foundation, a Christian ministry here in town. And Amachi is a, a ministry that uh, cared that, that does one-on-one mentoring for children who've been affected by incarceration. Essentially, very likely that they have one or both parents are in prison. You'll hear more about Amachi, but would you consider doing that? Would you consider doing Common Good? Common Good is a ministry of Embrace Church right around the corner from here, and they do an after-school program mostly for kids who go to Arlington Elementary, which is a school about a block and a half north of here on North Line. 
See, according to Jesus, there's just no such thing as those who are gifted to work with kids and those who aren't. According to Jesus, loving children is part and parcel of life in the kingdom. According to Jesus, loving children is a mark of personal holiness. Valuing children. But he shifts the conversation about halfway through verse 16 from valuing children to children teaching the disciples something, to being examples for us. Justin saying about us standing on the shoulder of children. And this is what he was hinting at in his song. And Jesus is telling these disciples that if they don't come, if they don't become like little children, they will never enter the kingdom. So what does that mean for me and you? Does that mean that we had to become naive like children? Does that mean we had to become underdeveloped like children? Does that mean we had to become innocent like them? Does it mean we had to be cute like them? No, that's not what it means to become like a little child. What it means to become like a little child is that we become dependent like little children. See, to be dependent means you can't accomplish anything without the help of another. See, if you look there in verse 15, Luke uses the word infant. He doesn't use the word child. He uses the word infant. And infant literally means uh, those who can't yet walk. Now, Henry, he can't feed himself. He can't uh, sleep without help. He's utterly dependent on Lauren and Gordy to do everything for him. And Jesus is saying, you've got to become like that to get in here. Jesus wants his disciples to assume this posture of dependence. Not just when we enter the kingdom, but when we live our life within it. So what does it mean for to become like a little child upon entrance? Well, it means that you've got to give up. It means you've got to quit all your efforts that center upon your independence. See, by our very nature, as fallen people, as people made in the image of God, we want to set our own course We want to live life independently from God. We want our good deeds to outweigh our bad deeds so that God has to accept us. But that's not being dependent whatsoever. To be dependent means that we have to depend on someone else to do the work required to purchase our salvation. And that someone else is Jesus. See, it was his righteous life, his substitutionary death, his bodily resurrection that we depend on in order to make us right before God. And that's dependence of the absolute highest order. And many of you are like, sure, Marsha, I get it. I became that kind of little child and was converted back when I was a kid or when I was in college. But isn't it time for me that I'm running this race and Jesus ran the first leg and now he's handing the baton for me to finish things out and now I get to live for him? And the answer is, that is absolute heresy. See, dependence is not just your ticket into the kingdom. It's also the secret to success as you live within the kingdom. I've learned this really uh, up close and personal when it comes to all things technological and all things construction. Um, I'm totally useless in both areas. Um, And the older I get, the more ready I am to admit my total ignorance when it comes to either of these. See, not that long ago, partly because I was poor and partly because uh, I was cheap, I I, I really tried to do all these technological things on my own. I knew I could do email. 
I can get on gmail.com, I can surf the browser, I can use a word processor. I even have a little bit of skill, not a lot, with Google Drive. Um, but if you ask me to format something, if you ask me to learn a new program, I'm totally sunk. And so before, when these kind of things would come up in, in, in just normal life or normal work, I, I'd try to learn them on my own, and I'd end up madder than a rattlesnake every single time. But now I've reached maturity, and I just call my friend Paul Adams. <laughs> Same thing goes with fixing things in my house. I, early in our marriage, especially when we first bought, when we bought our first house, I really wanted to prove to Jenna that I was competent in doing these kinds of things. So I'd try to fix things that were broke, or I tried to make things look better that didn't look very good, and I tried to do it on my own, but it was a really bad idea. Instead of fixing something, I'd break it worse. Instead of making something look better, it would get uglier because of my touch. So you see, my independence didn't work. In fact, my independence was harmful. So what do I do? I depend on other people. But why do we think differently about the Christian faith? Why do we think that our independence is a good thing instead of thinking it as something harmful? I mean, Jesus did say, apart from me, you can do nothing. In other words, he's saying that our whole lives are meant to be spent depending on him. I mean, this is how he made us from the very beginning. He made us as contingent creatures. And what Jesus wants us to do is he wants us to hold out our cup. And our cup always has a big hole in the bottom. And we're asking Jesus to fill it because we're leaky. We don't get filled up once and then we're expected to have all we need. You have a hole in your life which makes you perpetually empty and in need of perpetual filling. Dependence. So what are you trying to fix in your life independently from the power of Jesus? Are you trying to calm your own temper down? Good luck. Are you trying to get over an addiction without the help of Jesus and his church? More power to you. Are you trying to fix your marriage on your own? There's no way. Are you trying to muster up strength to practice the spiritual disciplines? That's not going to work either. See, all these examples are all ways that we're trying to achieve independence. And the Christian walk is not so much about growing up into independence, but it's about growing down into childlike dependence. See, for many of us, these three verses call us out. Either you're sitting there and you're thinking, Man, I, I'm so far behind delighting in children. Either I ignore them or God's given them and they, they, they bear my DNA and half the time I can't stand them. Or you feel called out because of how independent you've been living from Jesus. And now you're sitting there and you're just tempted. You're tempted to despair. You're tempted to be defensive. And I get that. But here's the problem. The problem with despair and defensiveness is that they never lead to transformation. The only thing that's going to make you any different is the gospel. And the gospel simply says, Jesus loves sinners. See, I can promise you the disciples felt the same way you did. They felt really called out. 
because Jesus was really angry at them. This passage also in Matthew and Mark, and in Mark's account, it says that Jesus is indignant at them. I think they were sinking down into their chairs and they wanted to run away. But ultimately, Jesus' anger did not lead to eternal judgments for the disciple. Ultimately, Jesus' anger led him to the cross. Because what was greater than his anger was his love for them. Jesus loved them enough to die for them and to raise again from the dead for them. And he loved you enough to die for you and raise again from the dead for you. And if Jesus Christ raised from the dead, then he can put within you an affection for children. And he can put within you a humility to let children teach you dependence. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word that you didn't leave us in the dark about what it means to walk with you. But you've shown us real clear in this picture uh, a good bit of what it means, a good bit that it means being dependent. So I pray you'd have mercy on us for our independence. And Lord, that you would uh, not just convict, but that, Lord, you would uh, empower dependence in our lives. In Christ's name, amen.